The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Sitting on a million, sitting on it every day. Can't make no money giving your stuff away. Why don't you do now? Like the millionaires do. Put your stuff on the market. You can make a million too. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. The Multimedia Cafe is a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about next. And on today, oh, multimedia, let me just give you a quick little update on the multimedia part of it. Multimedia means, of course, a variety of different mediums is how we do interviews. So we can do them over Facebook, we can do them over Skype, we can do them over the phone, we also do them face-to-face, a variety of different ways that you can contact people in today's world, and we embrace that here at the Multimedia Cafe. Of course, the cafe is Cafe Talk. We talk with experts, and we have very casual, civil, non-political non-polarizing talk here at the multimedia cafe it's kind of like if you go to the cafe you know you just talk to the farmers about farming you talk to the mechanics about mechanics and you know what you might venture into things that do impact their life like finances and schools and things like that to education for example those are universal topics but then you've got expert topics as well so cafe multimedia cafe we can review thank you very much for choosing us for your content exclusive interviews here at the multimedia cafe we are part of the crude life media network so all of the interviews here today are available at the crudelife.com that's the crudelife.com and on today's program we've got a fantastic program in store for you today we talk with arthur widener with Doodlebug Beverages. Talks about the family history behind the great-grandfather's sweet crude liqueur recipe and how North Dakota's sweet crude got to the marketplace. It only took him three years, but he got it there. So Arthur Widener, Doodlebug Beverages, coming up on today's program. And Joe Dancy, distinguished lecturer, energy, law and economics, oil, gas, natural resources, and the University of Oklahoma College of Law, the executive director for the Energy Center. Boy, that's a lot of things that he has going on. But he's that smart. He's that much of an expert. And he went to NAEP 2019, one of the largest energy conferences in the United States. And he gives an update on there about uh, more hustle, more booths, more big data, more optimism coming this year. Plus, he talks about some poached engineers, engineers being poached. Of course, that happened in the Bakken oil fields back in the heyday, the, the boom days, where electricians, pipe fitters, and uh, welders were getting poached. They couldn't even go out to dinner at a, at a restaurant bar without getting a doubled salary offered to them. So it's uh, interesting topics on today's Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. <laughs> Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. 
and then you will let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation. The Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with Arthur Widener with Doodlebug Beverages. And kind of pre-interview here, Doodlebug Beverages goes a little bit further than we thought. Uh, We're talking today about the sweet crude. It's a, a liqueur that... Art Widener has uh, perfected and uh, found out you're more of a distributor and an author of, but you're not the distiller itself. So uh, without getting too technical here, start us with the recipe and then give us the description to where we're at today where you're the distributor of Doodlebug Beverages. So uh, how, how did you, is this a family recipe? Or? It is. It's about 100 years old. Okay. Uh, Great grandpa Albert, uh, excuse me, Martin. Uh, not not Grandpa Albert, but Great Grandpa Martin started it uh, uh, before the age of prohibition. But North Dakota was a dry state in those years, and uh, it was a dry state for forty five years. And so people out in the West, you know, out of necessity, had to produce their own alcohol if they wanted to have a little bit of of, uh, of the spirit. And there's lots of family recipes out there. It used to be, anyways. Um, you know, you still go out there and people want you to try their apple pie recipe or something like that. Sure. Um, this is quite a bit different than those. Uh, but well, What's in it? What's in it? Well, it, it's, uh, you know, one of the main ingredients, of course, is caramelized sugar. Uh, and that's something that I produce myself um, because um, I find it it's, it's very important for the quality of the drink. And, and you were telling me, um, as we kind of did a little pre-interview here, that you did that out of basically your own personal preference of quality, quality control, that the stuff on the market just didn't seem to have the quality that you wanted, so you took that matter in your own hands? Right. And, and, and it's something that we used to do in the kitchen, you know, in order to produce the, what Grandpa uh, Martin and Albert used to do. Um, they showed us how to do it in the kitchen. Uh, well, you know, that's not going to work when we're talking about production level, 1,000 bottles, 2,000 bottles, 4,000 bottles. Um, so we had to come up with a process and, and a piece of machinery that could, could do it for us. What was available out on the market, again, is mostly as a colorant, not as a flavor profile, and that's not what North Dakota Sweet Crude is about. We're about the natural flavors that we can produce and uh, give people a unique experience um, the reason that we started the, the business, I, I mean, I'm, I'm an engineer um, by upbringing and by uh, genetics, if you talk to my wife. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't looking to get into the alcohol business. Um, it wasn't in, in my, wasn't on my windshield at all. Um, but as we started sharing, you know, the family recipe around out in the western part of the state when we would go hunting, uh, 
people kept requesting it. Uh, you know, one time we called back and said, hey, we're coming back out to hunt. And, and he said, oh, yeah, it'd be great. But you know that bottle you brought last year? Yeah, I'm going to need 12 this year. So my brother and I started looking at each other mm-hmm. and said, hey, we might have something. <laughs> and you've got more connection to western North Dakota than just hunting. Yeah. Uh, so my family uh, is from uh, the Zap, North Dakota area. Oh, Zip the Zap. All exactly. right. Yeah. I, uh, it, the, the former mayor's who's now the mayor again, has been back on our show a number of times, Terry uh, Barden, mayor of Zap, North Dakota. So it's going to be 50 years this spring. Yes, yes, we were talking I need, about that. I need to do something big out there with him. I, I need to get out there and do something. Well, we laugh because he, he won the last mayoral election as a write-in, and he wasn't he didn't know about it. He was on vacation, and they called him <laughs> and said, you won the mayoral election again. There was a guy on the ballot even. <laughs> he won because he was the previous mayor. Uh, right, right, oh, that's right. so like funny. <laughs> oh, that's good. So, so you've um, your family's from Western North Dakota. Yep. The, the sweet crude, I went right away to the Bakken. Do you, do you uh, have a vested interest in the Bakken? Um, you, you don't have it in the name, but sweet crude, obviously, people think of oil. Right. So. Well, I mean, the Zapbula area, if you, you know, lignite capital of the world, yeah. right? So coal is king there right now. But yeah, we still have some mineral rights in the area. Um, not much. They're not worth anything right now, but, you know. Hey, oil gets be. up to 100 bucks, it might be. Right. Yeah. Right. Could happen. Um, and it, it will again. So, okay, you. how much of this did you do yourself? Your, your grandpa did the recipe, your great-grandpa. Mr. Arthur Widener, please hold that thought for just a moment. Arthur Widener with Doodlebug Beverages will continue the conversation in just a moment. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. I was tears old when John Lennon died Well, I was 23 when George said goodbye Yeah, next go, I think it's Paul, I see Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with, well, we continue the conversation with Arthur Widener, Doodlebug Beverages. Your, your grandpa did the recipe, your great-grandpa. Well, and it's been it's been tweaked. Yeah. I mean, you know, grandpa and, wasn't putting citrus into the, okay. it, you know, he wasn't putting lemongrass in. What's in it? What's in you it? Know, What's so, well, besides the cinnamon, which is what you're going to get up front, is a lot of cinnamon. flavor. Yep. Uh, but, you know, it's backed by the velvety uh, cover of the, of the, uh, of the, the caramelized sugar. I mean, that's really what's what's coating your tongue and, and mm-hmm. giving you that that good sweet flavor, um, and helping to control the alcohol burn because mm-hmm. uh, there is really no alcohol burn with this liqueur, uh, even though it's seventy five proof. Uh, you know, people try it for the first time, they're like, "Whoa, seventy five proof!" Um, but you can't tell, really, uh, and that that has a lot to do with the uh, with the caramelized sugar in there, that that it's actual caramelized sugar. And then uh, the cinnamon, uh, it's, a, it's a tough brewing process to get all of that cinnamon flavor out of there. Um, but that's, that's one of the things that, that you know, Grandpa had, did right. Uh, and he had it, had it down. And so then along with that, then there's some ginger and some lemongrass and then uh, the citrus notes. 
was the ginger and lemongrass part of your great grandfather's recipe? Ginger was. Ginger was, yeah, but not lemongrass okay. and, and citrus. I, well, I don't know where he was getting ginger. That's from. what I, mean, I was, was going to ask. A, it's a tropical thing. Uh, oh, ginger comes out of Canada. Okay. Oh, I think Canada is the biggest. Really? Lot. That's where Canadian dry ginger ale. That's, oh, okay. That's, that's the reason they have so much ginger ale. Oh, okay. Is that Canada is a very big supplier of ginger? Yeah, I didn't know that until last year. I didn't. I yeah. didn't know that either. But it makes sense when they started co- correlating the Canada dry ginger ale, right? With um, with that, so. right? Yeah, I imagine that's where you got the ginger from. Then was probably yeah, it Canada. Must, must have been. But lemongrass, that's pretty specific to oh, the yeah. Pacific Rim or the right. Asian countries. Right. Yep. Um, so that came later. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, at what point did your family stop brewing it in bathtubs or with distillers out in the garage or barn you know, so or whatever? Basically, because uh, you you tried it just with those home kits or you know whatever the heck, right? Yeah. And you yeah. realized, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, this isn't anything that I'm really interested in becoming yeah, an expert yeah. in. And yeah. you did it more for fun just right. to see. So right. this had, I'm an engineer. Yeah. i got to understand how things work. Exactly. But I imagine your, you know, maybe your grandpa probably stopped. So, or... so great-grandpa great Martin, uh, you know, out of necessity, he was he was cooking it up in the smokehouse, right? Okay. Hey, Martin, why are you smoking a pig in July? I don't ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> you got your ginger order in? You're <laughs> stuffing the pig with ginger. Right, 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 right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, prohibition ended, uh, you know, and probably about 34 in North Dakota. Uh well, that's a pretty tough time in Western North Dakota. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, people were scraping on by on, on fumes and dirt back then, um, so they weren't going out and buying alcohol. Uh, so they were probably still distilling. But you know, after the and then the war, World War II comes on, uh, you know, and things are pretty tight then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, after World War II is when uh, when the family kind of gave up on great grandpa's still out of necessity. Really, um, you know, the thing was. Not that great to begin with, and, and uh, it's probably pretty well broken down by then. A lot of barns still you can see on the interstate <laughs> driving by going, you know, if a leaf falls on that barn, it's done. All right. You know, all right. Type thing. Okay. Yeah. So, so, okay. so then they, you know, then they switched over to, to the what was, you know, readily available and, and, and mass produced. So when did you start doing this? When was your first bottle sold? First bottle was sold July 20th of, this, of 2018. Okay. So eight, nine months ago. Um, when did you start the process to when did you sell the first bottle? How long did that so take? So it took me three years to oh, get to wow. market. Yep, I applied for a business license in uh, May of 2015. So you hear that, kids? You got a good idea? For a liquor, it takes three years to get to market. <laughs> well, most of that was encompassed in the the machinery and and process refinement of of caramelizing the sugar oh okay and nothing with the red tape of not 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 much okay. no in fact north dakota was was fantastic to work with okay because um, a lot of times when you, liquor's involved right um you're talking well boy, and then the fact that i i'm not the distiller right stringent. i went i went to a distiller that knew what he was doing he's the president of the american craft spirit association i mean he's he's top dog he, he's perfect okay a, at the at the top of his craft, and so you know to get him on board that was that was huge, right? I mean that's that's a lot of homework that I, that yeah. I don't need to do. All right, so then uh, you got to market. Um, now, how many locations are you in, roughly? Uh, I'm going to say 75, maybe okay. 80. 
And that's um, and that's in North Dakota. Okay. And is, and that, then, is that liquor stores or bars or both? Both. Okay. Both. Okay. And then you know in Minnesota currently, uh, well there'll be a kickoff party on Friday uh, for the next location, but uh, that'd be nine locations in the in the Twin Cities. So when I was interviewing the um, healthy seed oil guy out of Carrington, uh, Gushus, he mentioned that like North Dakota's got some odd. CBD hemp oil laws to where you can't actually export anything outside of the state. Um, I imagine liquor has a lot to do with. In fact, I mentioned this earlier. The, the uh, Fargo Beer House or the Brew or the Fargo Brewing, Brewing. Company. Yep. Uh, they have to go through the distributor to get beer to their South Fargo location. Right, so it's not where they actually brew it. Right. So there, there's a lot of um, different hoops you got to jump through when you're talking about liquor or hemp or anything like that. Did you? Are you finding that out going to Minnesota, or have oh, you tried definitely. to get into yeah. South Dakota? Have you yeah. tried to get into Montana? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so uh, yeah. There's 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 idiosyncrasies in in the regulations in every state that you go to. It's it's a learning process. Um, I would say you know to get us into Minnesota again. I I I went to another distributor who's already there because I knew that. That it was going to be too much of a headache, it was going to take me too long, and it would be too costly. Quite frankly, I mean, Minnesota, the, the regulatory environment is so much different than North Dakota. And so uh, I, I went to somebody who was already in the business, uh, got a recommendation from the distiller, and, and I couldn't be happier. I mean, the guys are kind of people, uh, you know, here's a handshake and, and, and off on business we go. So, in North Dakota, I've been really pleased with with the regulators and, and um, how helpful they are. I mean, even though there's regulations out, and I read through them, and I would I would call them up and I'd say, "Look, here's what it says." But I know that other people are doing business this way. What's the disconnect here? What am I not seeing? So, oh, well, you're not seeing the policy manual that you know that that's uh, an addendum to the regulation. Okay, well, can you explain that to me? Because uh, obviously, I'm not I'm not getting this. Right. And, and so, yeah, there's a whole another realm of, of policy that that goes hand in hand with the regulation and and. Uh, and, and you know, again, that's just kind of a barrier to entry. That you gotta you gotta knock on the right door to, to find that sort of stuff out. Uh, South Dakota, Montana, adjacent, even Wyoming to a certain degree is right. uh, adjacent to North Dakota. Any luck there? Well, so far I haven't gotten that far. Okay. Um, uh, you know, right now it's 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 basically me doing the deliveries and sales and everything part-time because you have a full-time job. Exactly. Yeah. And, and hopefully I'll be able to retire out of that here in the next month or two. Um, but uh, I mean, I got a I got a couple of you know high school college guys that I rely on every once in a while to help me do the, the sugar caramelization and what have you. Um, but and we should, <coughs> excuse me, we should mention that that through this Doodlebug Beverages, you've actually been able to spawn off two other side businesses. So yeah. you got your yeah. your caramelization business, which. Right. You mentioned the Junkyard Brewing Company, if I can even say that, is going to be buying some stuff from you. So you got a customer? Okay, so they did. Yeah. And then um, you're growing hops? Yeah. Okay, and how did that come about? Well, uh, I I got a friend. uh, I mean, there's no hops in this drink. No. Okay. No, there's no hops in this thing. Uh, So I got a a buddy from college, uh, doctor of pharmacy, 
here locally. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, he and I, you know, are kind of gardeners, farmers, what have you. I mean, he actually, you know, lived on a farm and farmed potatoes mostly out by Sabin. And that was Arthur Widener with Doodlebug Beverages. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter. All of our social media links are available at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tabs and be part of our ever-growing army of social media enthusiasts. hundred or 350,000, sorry, 350,000 followers we have here at the Crude Life Media Network and the Multimedia Cafe is one of our programs, one of our content vehicles, if you will. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. You know that I've lived, yeah, you know that I've tried. Well, I've told the truth, yeah, you know that I've lied. You know we do what we do so we can survive. And I was two years old when John Lennon died Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you will let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Meridian Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. MeridianEnergyGroupInc.com. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for joining us. Pulling up a stool here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with Joe Dancy. He's the executive director at the Energy Center at the University of Oklahoma College of Law. This is Joe Dancy with the University of Oklahoma College of Law. I'm the executive director of their Energy Center. Thank you for joining us today, a regular here on the program. And yesterday we had uh, Josh Robbins on, Beachwood Marketing. He gave us an update from NAEP. Today we've got Joe Dancy on, so he can give us a update, and then I'll ask you a few of the observations that uh, Josh saw as well and see how we kind of go from there and get a multi-layered perspective of NAEP this year. So how are you doing? Hey, really good. It was a great uh, Houston conference. We had a good time. The uh, the first thing I noticed, Jason, was in the last three years, every year it seems like we get a few more people, a few more booths, and seem to be a lot more people this year. They had 12,000, I think, last year they had 11, the year before 10,000 and a number, and there seemed to be a lot more booths, and I tell you why I know that, because the, they pretty much extended the entire convention center, yeah, they, there was some room on the end for a few additions, but I 
truck my mileage just walking back and forth from our booth to other booths and i put on you know probably close to six miles just going up and down and talking to people and etc tromping around the uh, uh over two days and tromping around the uh, convention center so that And it seemed like most people were probably more interactive in the past, walking past some booths. And, of course, you know, I work for University of Oklahoma, so I'm not there buying. I'm not there really selling. We we had a booth for our um, student society and for our online program. But uh, generally, I like to just talk to people. And but if there's if they're negotiating or talking to, you know, it looks like real business, I don't want to step in and uh interrupt uh a transaction and and so uh there were a number of folks i wanted to talk to i really didn't get a chance to but the number that i did you know most of them were pretty optimistic and at the end just uh the few booths around us uh you know i went over and they were selling prospects in texas and elsewhere and ask them you know what do you think of this year's conference and they said god you know we got you know much more response than we thought there'd be and uh so that was sort of the consensus it was it was a good program i will tell you um there were a few booths with some north dakota acreage one of which i didn't i wanted to talk to them but i didn't get a a chance to do that because they they had a crowd in front of their group but uh in the morning i went by and i looked at their geological oh they had a bunch of geological maps and stuff on it It looked pretty interesting of course it was a oil prospect and Mainly, Jason, you know, it's still, you know, your prospects are mainly oil-based still. It's tough to make money on natural gas at $2.70 or whatever it's selling for now. And the consensus seems to be we got plenty of natural gas. And even with natural gas liquids, you know, the economics just aren't quite as attractive as oil um, oil shows, which is correct. It seemed to be a lot of uh, of Louisiana, a lot of Texas plays, a number of Oklahoma it was it's pretty geographically um, mixed this year. And one of the things that I found, and every year I go, it seems to be you know more and more companies selling software, technology, tracking, just data stuff. And uh, I don't know whether that's a trend or whether I, I do know, like you know, apparently. Um, you know, all this software and technology and big data analysis, you know, it must be profitable and there must be some interesting niches. Um, I'm not the brightest bulb in the world when it comes to technology with regard to, you know, some of the, uh, some of what was being sold, but it was, it was sort of interesting to see. Uh, and past that, the reception seemed to be um well attended we went to the i went to the haynes and boone reception which is uh worked with their energy attorneys now for about 20 or 25 years doing educational programs and we actually we took our it's pretty interesting we have a virtual reality um shot of the permian basin as well as the santa rita number one discovery well and the permian basin which is the discovery well for the permian basin and you put the virtual reality headset on and you can fly over um, these areas and you actually can look up and down it's like the it's like you are on in a helicopter and the the it was probably the most impressive um presentation booth presentation by any educational institution in the history of nape and part of the reason is i that's a big bragging but i but the part of the reason is most 
educational institutions. I mean, you'd stop by and, gee, here's our booklet on our program. Here's a pen. You know, here's an alumni sticker. And we actually, you know, when you sit down and you actually have a interaction with the students and interaction with the computer program, and you actually learn something because there's a narration explaining, you know, what's going on. It, it worked pretty well. So, so overall, it was a good, um, a good program. Uh, I guess one of the things that came up, you know, and this has come up before, is uh, water is an issue, especially in uh, Texas, West Texas, and New Mexico, uh, for fracking, and because the amount of water needed is substantial. Uh, sand seems to be less of an issue because you know a bunch of local sand mines apparently have opened up in texas oklahoma i don't know about new mexico but you you don't have quite the backlog getting all that stuff down from wisconsin um man that's Permian, that's really turned into a competitive market isn't it yeah boy I'm glad i'm not in that business oh. when, when they yeah, it was it looked really attractive for a while and it's like geez this is look how because we're using so much of it, and uh, and actually it is interesting here in Oklahoma City or Norman, Oklahoma. I drive I thirty five quite a bit, and it is shocking how many trucks are full of sand that are running. We have a couple mines just uh, down by Ada, which is southern southeast Oklahoma sand mines that have been actually mined for a hundred years, Jason, and it's interesting. Um, and I talked to the manager. He's actually going to come visit my class here in about a month. But he said, you know, originally with the fracking, he goes, we were not one of the preferred providers because of the size of our sand was too fine. It was like a hundred mesh, I think, or smaller. And he goes, as it turns out, as time has gone on, the demand for that size mesh has gone way up. And and so I asked him, you know, roughly, you know, I was just curious how much how much how much that sand was worth in these trucks. And so we figured it out. It's about a thousand dollars a truckload is what he, they're delivering. And for H well, I didn't ask how many trucks, but I, I would guarantee you there'd probably be at least, at least a hundred truckloads of uh, sand for most of these, you know, mile long or mile and a half long laterals, just, you know, just based on, just based on, you know, just rough back of the envelope calculations. So mm -hmm. um, that was pretty cool. And, and I guess yeah. lastly, I was gonna I was gonna mention one other industry that seems to be pretty competitive, and I wanted to ask you if it was seen that way down at NAEP is the environmental services anything to do with you know cleanup or some environmental solutions that sort of thing is a big wave in the last few years has seemed to be pretty competitive too because everybody's got their own proprietary. Uh, chemical type, you know, solution. And so everybody's bragging about why theirs is better than everybody else's. It, was that at all at NAEP this year? Well, there were a number of environmental folks. I talked to them a little bit. Of course, I teach uh, you know, a little bit oil and gas environmental law and talk a little bit about cleanup and technology. And uh, like you say, though, the technology is, it is interesting, both the cleanup of oil spills and of saltwater uh, spills. I mean, the the technology is getting better and better, as well as just the um, you know when you when you revegetate, especially salt damaged lands or oil damaged lands, the um, the expertise is getting better. And I don't know whether it's genetics or whether it's the seeds or whatever, but you know if you look, and this is a story they tell. Now, whether this is really the case in the field, Lord knows, Jason. But it, yeah, they tell us, you know, we. It's easier now with the current technology to, you know, re revegetate and reclaim a oil site 
than it has been historically. And, and also the fact that with these laterals, you know, instead of drilling, you know, five wells, you're only drilling one. And right. so your pad is much smaller. Your, your reclamation area is much smaller. The surface owner supposedly is happier because he doesn't have to, you know, take his tractor around five different pump jacks. But um, Mr. Joe Dancy, going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to continue the conversation with Joe Dancy with the University of Oklahoma College of Law. He's the executive director of the Energy Center. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Well, you can be my little pony, I'm be your big stud. You can be Bugs Bunny, I'll be hell but I'll follow you. I think you know the way. If we were pigs, we'd be getting dirty. Meridian Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota, is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. MeridianEnergyGroupInc.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. So here's to all of the good thinkers. And here's to the lonely drinker, but don't you know, let this moment pass. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we're going to talk with, we're going to continue the conversation with Joe Dancy with the University of Oklahoma College of Law. He is the executive director for the Energy Center. And sometimes, right. you know, the wheel is still a pretty innovative tool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting with rig mats. It's interesting you mentioned that because years ago, you know, whenever you were in sort of a marshy area or a swamp or, you know, you needed a wetlands permit, you know, a lot of times the wetlands permit or the, the landowner or the regulatory agency would require you to, to use those man and like you say the great thing is if you if you're over a you know like sort of a marshy area that will support machinery you throw those things down there and and literally you're not digging up the marsh and when you're done you pull it up and you know lord knows like you say they they revegetate itself because you haven't messed up the soil the chemistry the 
um, the seas and everything else. So it's pretty, it's a pretty cool, yeah, it's a pretty cool technology. And I didn't see, and again, I really didn't you know, talk to many environmental, but they were, they were there. There were a number of booths dealing okay. with uh, remediation. Joe Danzi is our guest, University of Oklahoma. He's uh, executive director over at the Energy Center there. Uh, University of Oklahoma Law. I have to make sure I clarify that. Because uh, that is different than U- University of Oklahoma. You guys are a satellite campus? No, well, actually, we're right on campus. We're just oh, on okay. the south part of campus. And everybody is sort of, uh, OU is such a big energy um I love uh, it. campus i mean love we have, Oklahoma. you know we had our first we had, we were the first geology school nationwide opened up i think uh 1901 1902 professor gould there's a gould uh geology building now it's they actually a gould archaeology or a gould uh architect building uh they renamed it and gave our geologists a new program we were the first uh petroleum engineering program of course we have we were the first petroleum landman program and of course over at the law school i don't think we were the first but you know we've been one of the longest uh, energy law programs around so it's a there's a lot of uh there's a lot of history here which sort of makes it exciting for me to be around so uh I in any you, event the i was gonna say I, I love oklahoma i've got some great memories uh, in oklahoma and a lot of toll booth memories too but that's a different story the uh, the uh, my favorite memory of Oklahoma. I was uh, I was I used to be a baseball player and uh-huh. uh, played the AAU tournaments. And we were down in Oklahoma one year in the um, state of North Dakota All Stars. I was on, and you know we travel and play the different teams that sort of thing. And uh, the second day of the tournament, we ended up playing the Oklahoma All Stars. The first night we lost eight nothing. The next night um, we played. Wisconsin, and they had a six-seven pitcher, a guy, a pitcher that was six-seven. Okay, we're sixteen years old. Okay, so wow. this, exactly, he ended up going to the pros, but uh, he pitched a one-hitter against us, and I got the hit because the ball was coming right from my head, and I tried to move to get out of the way, and it hit the bat, and I outran it. So I got our one hit. <laughs> Otherwise, that guy would have pitched a no hitter against us. That's my that's my favorite memory of Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, anyway, but so okay. Uh, how about the, the the money side of things? Were there any you know merger acquisition rumblings? Was there any sort of capital cap talk? You know what I mean? Just talk turkey a little bit with me. What'd you overhear? Yeah, well, what I sort of heard, and it was sort of interesting, just asking about. You know the financing and the, the private uh, equity and the private capital and the public capital and uh, talking to a number of folks the public companies with uh, oil and gas they have done relatively poorly because because the outlook for oil and gas here uh, in the futures curve so so for a lot of companies you know the exit strategy of build you know some you know, build a, a nice little field of 10 or 20 wells and, you know, 100, um, you know, drilling locations and sell it to a public company. That hasn't worked real well, and at least lately. And, you know, talking to some people, they say until oil prices, you know, get up much above 50 or $55 a barrel, you're probably not going to see a lot of activity. Natural gas is sort of like, um, oh, your crazy cousin, they don't know, nobody really wants to deal with natural gas because they don't think you can make money at, you know, 275 or 250. And they think there's so much of it that all you have to do is, you know, stick a straw in the ground. Um, 
the uh, yeah, this is sort of interesting. They just the feedback. I talked to some lease brokers in different areas, and they said, you know, there is so much um, money flowing into the sector that um, it is a little bit concerning about you know some of these lease prices, especially in the Permian Basin. Um, that you know when you you. You roll out the, the prices you're paying for leases now. It, it makes the economic returns a lot more modest than they would have been otherwise. And I guess that's I guess that's bad for the investors. But I, on the other hand, if you're a mineral owner uh, or if you're a company with some leasehold, you know that you know, that's not all that bad. But um, so that was sort of some of the feedback on the financial end of things. I okay. I was sort of asking around, you know, gee, what do you guys are you optimistic? What are you basing your capital expenditures on? And Oh, gee, Jason, the feedback I got is, you know, the uh, the price of oil and the price of gas is no one seems to be able to predict it. It's so cyclical. It's so volatile. You know, you got everybody trading futures these days. Um, it's really difficult for folks to plan, which is bad for, well, number one, it's bad for, you know, your manpower. You don't know. And it's bad for contracting for your rigs and completion crews. And let me stop right there. Another point that came up was in the Permian as a get these pipelines connected here probably by year end to get all the oil and natural gas out of the Permian. They said, there's a whole bunch of drilled and uncompleted wells and everybody's going to want to, as soon as they see that pipeline capacity, they're going to run and want to complete their wells. Mm -hmm. And they said, there's going to be a huge shortage of completion crews that are competent and there'll be, it'll be a, you know, some people think that'll be a frenzy of activity. And that was Joe Dancy, the executive director for the University of Oklahoma College of Laws Energy Center. To listen to that full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe We Can Review is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. All those social media links are available at thecrudelife.com. Of course, the Multimedia Cafe is a Monday through Friday program that you can check us out on a variety of radio stations, as well as download the podcast at thecrudelife.com or on iTunes. If you're listening to us on the radio, thank you very much. We appreciate it. And we'll be back next week at this time on this radio station. If you're downloading us on iTunes or at thecrudelife.com, thank you very much for allowing us to be your content choice. All of the interviews here are exclusive, one of a kind, so you know that you're getting fresh, good information brought to you by experts that can help you live your life. And we like to be the eyes and the ears for you out there in this busy, busy world. That's going to do it this week, folks. Thank you very much. From the staff at the Multimedia Cafe, we can review. My name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. Hot stuff will say, why don't you do now? Like the millionaires do. Put your stuff on the market. You can make a million too.
Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 